God, we're grateful to gather and to sing to you this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord, for providing us this space uh, to worship in and Lord, just for the grace that it is to come together every week to encourage one another, to sing about you, and to read and learn from your word. And so, Lord, I pray right now as we get into your scriptures, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, just teach us. Help us to learn. Help us to see new things about you. I, I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here with a bigger faith and a bigger view of who you are. And Lord, I pray specifically for the text that we're going to be reading and thinking about this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that we would see the Bible uh, as an infinite well of truth and wisdom and guidance from you that just can never be exhausted in our lifetimes. Help us to devote our lives, our whole lives, into plunging into the depths of your word and allowing it to transform our hearts and to renew our minds and train our instincts. So Lord, I pray you would help us to see the riches of your word this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the most important character qualities uh, that I think is essential if you want to be successful at anything in life is self-awareness, okay? Self-awareness, all right? If you ever worked on a team with people for anything, the people on that team who are self-aware are easy to work with, and the people on that team who are not self-aware are not easy to work with, right? And what I mean by self-awareness is your own personal recognition and awareness of your strengths and your weaknesses. So you know the things that you're good at and where you excel, but you also know the areas where you need help. Uh, someone who's self-aware knows the quirks of their personality that might bother others, and they work to mitigate those out of care for others. Someone who's self-aware has a level of self-confidence where they're not afraid of criticism or the need to improve. And in my own journey and development as a leader and as a pastor, I've had to personally develop self-awareness. So I'm in my 11th year of ministry and going on 10 years of marriage. I have two kids, right? And all of that experience, I've, I've learned some things about myself, mostly the hard way. And here's the way that I would sum up what I've learned about myself over the years, and that's this. I want results. I hate process. All right, can anyone relate? I want results. I hate process. So I personally desire to gain knowledge through books. I think it's a good thing to do that. I want knowledge that books bring. I just don't want to read them. Right? Or... I want the benefits of eating a healthy diet, right? And the body that would come along with that. But I want to eat what I want to eat. Uh, I want the benefits of a healthy heart and endurance, right? From exercising regularly. But you're not going to find me going out for a run, right? I want results. I hate process. Uh, credit cards are terrible for people like this. All right, when I graduated from college, I was ready to propose to my now wife. What did I do? I got me an Amex. And so 
uh, instant results, no process, right? So uh, nice ring, nice honeymoon, and definitely paid for that one later and learned my lesson later, right? So this is something that not only did I need to learn about myself, but I needed to confront. I needed to admit that I had a problem with this, and this caused me to be an undisciplined, inconsistent person, and I needed to address it, all right? So anyone relate with that, right? Results, not process? You can, yeah. Anyway, I bring this up this morning because I think in our Christian culture today, um, many of us have been trained to have expectations of the Bible, the Word of God, that when we approach the Word of God, we expect instant results without the process. Uh, this morning, we're coming close to the end of our summer sermon series on the Word of God. We've been in this all summer. This is part eight, um, where we've just been asking, what is the Bible? How do we read the Bible. And this morning, what I want us to think about and consider is the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, is sufficient. It's sufficient to guide and direct us in every single life circumstance. But if you grew up in a church that had a high view of the Bible, right, they, they had a high regard for the Bible, they believed it was true. You may have heard something like, the Bible is your instruction manual for life. Or maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you've heard things like that, like, oh, the Bible is my instruction manual. That might be confusing to you because you open the Bible and you read certain things and you go, I have, I have no idea how that applies to my life, how that's instructions for my life. So, Referring to the Bible as an instruction manual, that's, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's bad. I, I actually want to show us today how the Bible is sufficient to guide us in every life circumstance. But where I think referring to the Bible that way can get confusing is that we look to the Bible to provide us very specific answers to very specific questions very quickly. We go to the Bible for instant results and not allow for a process. God, why are you allowing this person to suffer? I need to know. God, should I take the job offer or not? Should I marry this person or not? Uh, why will this cloud of depression just not lift and maybe it's discouraging to you when you look in the Bible for answers to questions like these and you just don't seem to find them. The results that we're looking for don't seem to be there. But I believe they are there. Answers to every question. But it's a process. And so to show you what I mean, I want us to study a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All right, so if you have your Bible, get it to 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to read verses 10 to 17. But before I read it, let me give you a little bit of context. Um, the book of 2 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Paul, older, seasoned pastor. Timothy is a younger pastor whom Paul was training. And while Paul is writing this letter, he's probably, we think, in Rome, in prison, awaiting execution. So he's waiting for the end of his life. And this letter, 2 Timothy, is kind of Paul's farewell letter to Timothy. 
And in this farewell letter, Paul is offering Timothy some last minute uh, advice and instruction to this younger pastor. So that's what we see second, in 2 Timothy. And in this section that we're going to read this morning, what Paul's doing is he's exhorting Timothy to stay committed to the Bible, stay committed to the scriptures. All right, so I want to read that section. That's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. Paul speaking here. This is what Paul says to Timothy. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we can see in this text, Paul's reminiscing about his ministry. And he's talking about all of the persecutions and all of the hardships he endured in ministry, many of which Timothy witnessed as well. And one of the things that Paul is reminding Timothy of is, hey, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, and if you're going to follow the scriptures, you're going to get persecuted in life. Because the world's not going to agree with what this has to say. And so because of this, this is all the more reason, Timothy, to stay devoted to the word of God. And so in this exhortation to Timothy to stay committed to the scriptures, I think we see three reasons that Paul gives to Timothy to stay committed to the scriptures. And I want to outline these three reasons, okay, but it's the third one that we're really going to dive into and think about what that means for us today. Okay, so three reasons Paul gives to Timothy to stay committed to the Bible. Don't waver. All right, here's the first one. The first one, the first reason, is because the scriptures, the Bible, leads us to faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. He says, In how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When Paul refers to the sacred writings, he's talking about the Old Testament and actually probably a few New Testament books, which are at that time being circulated as scripture by this time this was written. And so we've talked in great detail in this series, all right, specifically part four of this sermon series that we're in, about how all of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, is about Jesus 
and points us to faith in Jesus Christ. And what Paul's doing is he's reinforcing that fact, that right knowledge of the scriptures will lead to faith in Jesus Christ. Knowledge is not what saves. Reading the Bible is not what saves. But the Bible will lead you to what does save, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved when we surrender our whole lives, we entrust our whole lives to Jesus, to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus who came, took our sins, and carried them on his back to the cross. And as he died on the cross, he took the judgment we deserve for our sin, and he paid for that on the cross. He took the judgment we deserve on the cross. But we also see that as Jesus takes on our sinful life, he gives us his righteous life. So we stand before God with our sins forgiven because Jesus paid for them on the cross and righteous because Jesus gives us his righteous life, right? So knowledge doesn't save. Faith in what Jesus accomplished is what saves. You know, what I find interesting is right now it's, it's very common, it's always been common to do this, but we see this a lot now, for churches, denominations, Christians to adopt a very low view of the Bible, where there's just certain things they want to reject from the scriptures, or they want to reject the doctrine of inerrancy, the idea, the doctrine that God's word is without error, the Bible is without error. And what I find interesting is that almost without fail, when one begins to question the integrity of the Bible, soon after, they will dismiss the idea that what is required for salvation is faith in Jesus. The scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And when we begin to reject the scriptures, we reject what's going to lead us to faith in Jesus. So Paul says to Timothy, stay committed to the scriptures because they lead to what saves. The second reason Paul gives Timothy is because the scriptures are breathed out by God. We see that in the first part of verse 16 where he says, All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture. So the the Greek there for scripture, graphe, literally mean writing. All of those writings are breathed out by God. You can't speak without breathing. Right? It's the air in your lungs that goes across your vocal cords that allows you to speak. And it is God's breath breathed upon the writers of Scripture that inspire them to write the Word of God. Uh, Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1. He says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons Paul is reminding Timothy of this truth is because we're constantly bombarded by truth claims. And he's saying, listen, if you follow the scriptures, you're going to get persecuted. You're going to face hardships. 
All right, so there's going to be many people who tell you what you believe is wrong, what the Bible says is wrong, don't believe it, don't believe it. And so what source of truth do you really want in life? The loudest voices in culture and social media? Or do you want the very breath of God? Because that's what this is. Stay committed to it, Timothy. And here's the third reason Paul gives Timothy to stay committed And that's because God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. This is where I want us to to hang out for the rest of our morning. God's word is completely sufficient to guide and direct us through any life circumstance. Verses 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So all scripture is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is very complete, total language. The word of God is sufficient to guide us in all of life, every life circumstance. And so I want you to walk out this morning convinced of that. Convinced that God's word is sufficient to guide you through anything that you're going through, any question that you have. That there is not one scenario, one situation, one question, one struggle that you will face that God's word cannot guide you in. I want you to walk out convinced of that reality. But remember what I said before. Oftentimes when we look to the Bible for guidance in our lives, we want instant results and not process. And that's not to say the Bible doesn't provide very clear guidance in many parts of our lives without process. He certainly does. But what have we learned about the Bible so far? We've learned that the Bible points to faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We've learned that the Bible is literally the breath of God. This is very personal language here. So what do these two things tell us about the Bible? That the Bible is the word of the person of God. It's his word. So spending time in the Bible is spending time with God. And whenever you're seeking to learn and apply the ways of another person, It always takes time. It always takes presence, process. And so this is why I want us to spend some time looking at this one phrase here in chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Then it gives us a list of things it's profitable for. And one of those things is it's profitable for training in righteousness. God's word is, All scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. It's sufficient to guide us in every life circumstance because God's word trains us. Uh, A more, more literal translation of that word might be discipline. God's word disciplines us. Uh, We see that same word used in Hebrews 12 verse 7 where it says, it is for discipline. There's our word, same word as training that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline or train? Same word. This 
speaks to me because I have a son whom I discipline. A son whom I'm trying to raise well to love God and love other people. So let's just be honest about something real quick. All of you have, or not all of you, but many of you have taught my son, my daughter, and Grace Hill kids. Is discipline an instantaneous result thing or is it a process thing? I mean, parents, I know we all go into denial and expect discipline to be instant results, right? Don't do that again. I should never have to have this conversation again with you. But we all know it's a process. And if we want to be good parents, we have to have the expectation that raising our kids is a process. You're going to have to repeat yourself over and over again. Because through time... And through presence and repetition, our kids learn. They watch us and they're trained how to live. See, the Bible is not sufficient to guide us in every life circumstance because the Bible has a specific verse that will give you the specific answer to every single one of your life circumstances, right? If you have a job offer you're praying through, you can't go to 2 Kings and it will tell you to take the job or not. Rather, the Bible is sufficient to guide us in every life circumstance because the Bible trains us. It disciplines us. It renews our mind. It transforms our hearts. It molds our motivation. It gives us godly desires. It brings understanding to our emotions. It matures our expectations. It purifies our worldview. It hones our instincts in our gut. See, the Bible is not just an instruction manual on life. No, the Bible is the very word of God. And as we spend time in the Bible, we spend time with God. And as we spend time with God, we are trained to live as God would have us live. We are made wise to have the understanding that God wants us to have. We, our instincts and our gut become more aligned with the will of God, so that we make decisions that God wants us to make. Uh, in Judges chapter 6, we read about Gideon, who was one of the judges of Israel. God tells Gideon, hey, uh, I need you to defeat the Midianites, this other nation, and you're going to do that with just a small army of 300 soldiers. Gideon did not like that plan. He was not a confident person. I don't think any of us would be confident in that scenario. And so Gideon goes to God and says, okay, I, I need some affirmation, some kind of supernatural clarification that we're going to win. So here's what I'm going to do, God. I, I'm going to take a fleece and I'm going to lay it out on the threshing floor and I'm going to go to bed. And, and in the morning, if the fleece is wet with dew, but the rest of the ground is not, it's dry, then I'll know that you're going to let us win this battle. So... Gideon does it, goes to bed. God answers his prayer. He wakes up, goes to the fleece. It's wet with dew. The whole dry ground is dry. Ah, but see, Gideon's like, okay, okay. We got to make sure, though, this wasn't a coincidence. So, God, I just need a little more supernatural clarification from you. Here, let's just reverse the process. The next morning, I want the fleece to be dry and all the ground to be wet with dew. Okay, and then I'll really know what your will is. So Gideon goes to bed, wakes up, fleece is dry, ground is wet. 
Okay, all right, I got my answer from God. That's very helpful. They go and they defeat the Midianites. It's great. And here's the thing. I think for a lot of us, that's the kind of communication relationship we want with God, right? God, I I need you to be ready to provide me with very, very clear, indisputable answers about the questions that I have and the things and the decisions that I need to make. And whatever you say, I'll follow, right? So it's the whole, all right, all right, God, do I take the job? Do I not take the job? Just blink the light twice for yes and blink the light once for no. You stare at the light. Nothing happens. Not that you are really expecting anything to happen, but, but maybe there's a little bit of disappointment in you. Like, God, I really, I really want to do your will. I really want to honor you in this decision. I really want to make the right decision. Can you just be clear? Because I, I, I look at both options, and I think both could honor you or both could dishonor you. I'm not really sure. I, God, can you be clear? Don't you see my motivations? And let me just say, there's nothing wrong for asking God for that. A clear, direct sign. Nothing wrong. Gideon asked for it. God gave it to him. And I think God does it. I'm not saying God never does that, but it's not the normative way that God guides us and relates with us in this life. Of course we love God to answer our prayers with those kind of results. But listen, you you gotta get this this morning. In the silence of God not providing you a quick answer, he is doing a million things in you in the process. In the silence of God not being quick to give you an answer, he is doing a million things in your heart in the process. So you have a major life decision to make. Let's say you're at a good, comfortable job, but you you got another job offer that will pay a lot more money, give you a lot more opportunity for advancement, and you're, you're torn on what to do. There are good reasons for staying, and there are good reasons for going. But see, one of the ways that the word of God trains you is by reworking all of your priorities in life. See, in the world, that might be a no-brainer kind of a decision, right? Go to the job that's going to pay more and give you more opportunity. But what do you got to think about? But for someone who's been trained by the word of God, for someone who has had their heart transformed and molded to the heart of God, for someone who has had their worldview and their prioritize, I mean, their priorities upended by the scriptures, it would be completely normal for them to say, you know what, it's great that I got that job offer that's very affirming, um, great opportunity, but you know, over the last five years, I've had the chance to minister to my coworker who offices next to me And I've had some possible conversations with him, and I feel like he's finally getting interested in the things of God, and and maybe finally the Spirit is moving, and, and we're having great conversations. And right now, I think where God wants me is here, so I can continue to minister to him. So I'm gonna stay, say no to the money, out of love for my coworker. See, in the world, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you turn down better money? But in the kingdom of God, this is business as usual. 
This is normal stuff in God's economy, right? And the word of God transforms your priorities from being shaped by this world to being shaped by the kingdom of God, right? There's no Bible verse that told that person to not take that job offer. But the Bible trained them to make the right decision. One thing I've seen in my years in ministry are many people who've grown lonely in being single and feel the pressure to move a relationship quickly toward marriage. And oftentimes when your heart yearns so deeply for something, it's hard to distinguish God's will and your desires. But when one's heart is trained by the word of God, not only does the word of God bring understanding to your emotions, it also provides the correction that our heart so often needs in all sorts of circumstances. So in the midst of a deep desire to be married by spending time and having the presence to be in God's word consistently, your heart's going to be trained by texts like 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about the joys and the benefits of being single. And your heart will also be trained to understand that your joy is not found in something like marriage. Marriage is certainly joyful. But if you look to marriage to be your joy, that's the best way to suck joy straight out of your marriage. Our joy is found in Christ alone. See, there is no Bible verse that will tell you to marry or not marry that person. But the word of God will train you to test the desires and motivations of your heart that will lead you to make the right decision. Maybe you're walking through a lot of pain and sorrow and tragedy right now. The word of God will train your heart to mourn deeply, to grieve honestly, but 1 Thessalonians 4.13, not grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope. The word of God will train your heart to know deeply that God is sovereign and good. And even in the midst of great hardship, you can take comfort in the fact that God is in control. When we face hardship and we have not allowed the word of God to renew our minds and transform our heart, the truth of God's sovereignty may not be good news to us. But when you spend the time in the presence with God through his word, your heart will be prepared to trust him through the pain of life. Or maybe there's someone in your life that's really hard to love. The word of God will remind you that that person is an image bearer of God just like you are. That in the eyes of God, they are valued and loved. The word of God will also remind you that just like you, the person stands before God deserving judgment for their sin without Christ. And they need Christ just as much as you need Christ. I mean, if there's someone that you find hard to love in your life, here's my advice to you. Start praying Psalm 51 over your own heart and start praying Psalm 51 over their heart. The word of God will train your heart to love that person as Christ does. And so Grace Hill, this is, this is my exhortation to us today. Fight to spend consistent daily time in God's word. Fight for it. Right, that's not a legalistic thing where if you don't spend in time God's, 
time in God's word, you're, you're not gonna be saved or, or God's grace will be removed from you. It's not about that. This is a, God's word is sufficient to guide you. God's word is sufficient to train you. God's word is sufficient to lead you to joy. So why would you not come underneath God's word every day, even in the times when you don't understand and say, I wanna be trained by your word. This is an obedience to God thing. It's a fighting for your own joy thing is what this is. The Bible is not a reference guide that we pick up when we need to look something up real quick. No, the Bible is is the word of God and spending time in the word of God is spending time with God. And so will you allow the process of the word of God to train you towards righteousness? And if you have a hard time reading the Bible every day, if that's just something where you're, you have a hard time being motivated to do it, the, here's what I, I, you don't have to do it alone. Start reading it with other people, right? Find someone in the church and just say, hey, let's get together once a week for 30 minutes and let's read the Bible together, right? It could literally be, let's sit down, let's read. You can go, I don't know what I read. I don't know what I read either. But you read it together. You can pray through it. You can bounce ideas. You can come ask other people, but just have the accountability of reading the Bible together. This is something I do. I mean, in my life right now, I'm, I'm going through the book of Matthew on my own, but I'm reading the book of Hebrews with my good friend Evan. I'm reading the book of Acts with Nick right now. I'm reading First Timothy with Jamie. I'm reading First uh, Timothy with a men's group I meet with. Right, so you can do the same thing. Just find a friend and say, hey, let's read this book together. Just read it. You know, as I uh, mentioned earlier, I'm not a big fan of the process of exercise. I want instant results, but I don't want the work, the process. And for some reason, the market hasn't figured out yet that exercise is a process and not instant results. But you know, what I discipline myself to exercise multiple times a week, I have, to, I have to remind myself of why I'm doing that. Why? Because I know that my body will be more healthy. I, I know I'm gonna f- I feel better when I exercise. I sleep better when I exercise. I, my mind is clearer when I exercise. I know it's gonna allow me to keep up with my kids as they grow up. I know my wife appreciates it when I exercise. Right, so there are days I don't want to go to the gym, but I do anyway because my body needs to be trained to be healthy. And I know that going to the gym once isn't going to do it. I have to consistently go to the gym over the long haul for my body to be transformed by that. And it is the same with your walk with Christ. I know there are days that you may be bored reading God's word or you just don't want to get out of bed or there's not time to do it. But reading God's word consistently, look at me, takes faith. Maybe you don't know what's actually going on in your heart as you read it. Maybe you don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. Maybe you can't name it in the moment. But it takes faith that as I consistently spend time with God, I am being trained towards righteousness. That if you're with the presence of God through his words, it's transforming your heart and renewing your mind. So will you have faith in the sufficiency of God's word and fight to spend daily time in it so that it will train you towards joy and godliness? Will you make plans today to start consistently reading the word of God?
Let me pray for us. God, this morning, we just want to thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, we do not need to guess what is or is not your word. We don't need to figure out if that inkling we have or that feeling in our gut is your word or not, because you have given us the scriptures written down that we can test all of that against. You've been clear of what is your word, because Lord, you want us to have clear answers. You want us to have clear guidance. And our biggest questions in life and as we try to make decisions, you want us to have clarity on what glorifies you and what is for our good and what is good and right. You want us to have that clarity. And Lord, we're, we're thankful that our relationship with you is not just your just some kind of power in the sky and when we need a quick answer, you make some sign for us and that's all you are. But no, Lord, it's a relationship. When we spend time in your word, we are with you and you train us and you renew our minds and you transform our hearts. And so Lord, I pray that we all would be devoted to coming to your word so that Lord, we can know you more. We can live our lives in the way that you've called us to live. So Lord, I pray that we would all walk out of here believing that your word is completely sufficient to guide and direct us in all of life. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.